This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Caregivers have a tough job at the best of times. We'll look at how they've been affected by the pandemic. And who will be chosen to be the face of the new $5 bill? But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. If you're wondering about whether to take your Canada pension early or delay it beyond the age of 65, this study may help you decide. The average Canadian who takes Canada Pension Plan benefits at age 60 rather than 70 can expect to lose more than $100,000 of income over the course of their retirement. This according to the Lifetime Loss Calculation and research by Bonnie Jean McDonald, for Ryerson's National Institute on Aging and the FP Canada Research Foundation. Every year of delay helps your bottom line, but you have to start taking the money when you turn 70. Obesity increases the risk of early hip fractures in postmenopausal women well before the age of 70. Researchers in Finland followed women with a body mass index of 30 or higher for 25 years compared to women of normal weight. The data reveals the risk of hip fractures increased earliest for the obese women, but notably those at highest increased risk were slender women over the age of 75. A 71-year-old man believed to be the longest-serving non-violent cannabis prisoner has been released from a Florida jail. Richard DeLisi was sentenced in 1989 at the age of 40 and served 31 years of a 90-year sentence for selling marijuana. He says he's not bitter about the lost years and prefers to focus on creating memories with his family. While in jail, though, his wife, his parents, and 23-year-old son all died. This week, he met two granddaughters for the first time. The latest celebrity diagnosed with COVID-19 is comedian and talk show host Ellen DeGeneres. The 62-year-old says she's feeling fine and production on her show is suspended until January. DeGeneres said anyone who is in close contact with her has been notified, adding that she's following all the guidelines. A brewery in Delaware is making a beer that honors President-elect Joe Biden and his long association with Amtrak. The News Journal in Wilmington reports that Wilmington Brew Works released its India Pale Ale this week. The beer is called Railcar One, Wilmington to Washington. Biden was known for commuting on Amtrak during his decades as a U.S. senator. The brewery tweeted Monday that its first batch had sold out. Ironically, Biden doesn't drink beer and is well-known as a lifelong teetotaler. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
A quarter of Canadians over 65 are caregivers, and it's no surprise that the pandemic has been especially hard on them. With less outside help, they're spending more time and money on their loved ones, making it much more difficult to manage. I talked with Amy Kupal of the Ontario Caregiver Association about the group's latest Spotlight survey. What we do understand from Spotlight is that caregivers are investing more hours in caregiving on a weekly basis. So we see that 31% of caregivers are providing more than 10 hours of care per week. And this is up from 26% before the pandemic. So there is an increased investment in time. We don't always have the specifics on why that is, but we certainly have anecdotal evidence from caregivers about a variety of changes that have happened in all of our lives that have, you know, informed their caregiving circumstances and demanded more time from them. What are some of those changes? We do, uh, you know, understand that there have been significant changes in the availability or the method of delivery of services in different communities and that caregivers have also made some different choices for themselves in order to keep themselves and the person they care for safe. So caregivers are highly attuned to infection prevention and control, whether the person they're caring for is living with them at home or perhaps in hospital or some other form of congregated living. So caregivers are making a lot of investment right now, not only in time, but also in money. And this was one of the other notable findings from our report was that we see that caregivers are spending more of their own money. 47% are using their own finances to pay for their caregiving expenses. So that's notable. Is that higher than usual? And what exactly are they spending it on? It is a range. We know that 38% are using their savings, 25% are dipping into investments, and they're spending it not only on caregivers, giving expenses in terms of the costs of the kind of care that an individual might need, but they're also using it to pay for personal expenses for the person they're caring for if that individual doesn't have the capacity to pay themselves. 80% of caregivers are saying they're responsible for paying those personal expenses, whether that's rent or groceries, that kind of thing. It does vary from caregiver to caregiver, but for 80% to say that they're responsible for paying for those uh, expenses of the person they're caring for is a fairly significant number. I just had a call with a caregiver earlier today who was talking about um, investing their their personal money in uh, equipment that uh, that they needed to care for their mother. So there's lots of different things and it does depend on the needs of the individual they're caring for and the circumstances. How many people have become caregivers in the midst of this and what's their situation? We know there are an estimated 3.3 million caregivers across the province. That's the number that we've worked with over the course of um, the the uh, life cycle of our organization in the last couple of years. What we learned from the Spotlight Report is that 15% of caregivers have added responsibilities due to COVID-19 complications. We understand that uh, of Ontario's caregivers, 5% have taken on the caregiving role as a result of COVID. Within that cohort, there's probably two different groups. One is people who are providing care for someone who may be affected by COVID. And the other uh, portion of that group, and we don't have a clear breakdown as of yet, is people who have taken on caregiving responsibilities that they wouldn't have had before. So perhaps um, there has been a change in service or decisions have been made and, and a family member, friend or neighbor has said, I'll step up and take on this caregiving role. We'll be watching over time to see if that continues after the pandemic or whether we see 
see that uh, shift a little bit over time. Has the pandemic worsened the rate of caregiver burnout? Caregiver distress is one of the key markers that we've been looking at in Spotlight over the last couple of years. We do know that half of caregivers find it stressful to manage their own emotions. We know this is even more significant for caregivers uh, supporting someone with a mental health challenge. And that 47% uh, are also dealing with anxiety and stress related to the person that they're caring for. During the pandemic, there was a whole controversy ultimately resolved. Uh, Family members were barred from long-term care and ultimately they were recognized as essential caregivers. What impact has that had? Caregivers want to be seen as that valuable part of the team, and it's been essential that they be recognized as a part part of that team and included and continue to be given access. Make sure that process is easy. Make sure the protocols uh, are in place around um, any testing that's required, etc. And what we understand from caregivers is that it makes the world of difference, not only for them, but the person that they're caring for to have that contact with all the proper protocols in place so that they can do some of what they're used to doing in their caregiving role. It's not the same, but it is really important to have that contact, not only for the physical benefit that it provides in terms of any care that they provide, but the mental health benefit because that socialization, that engagement, and those check-ins around individuals' mental health, they really make a difference. Amy Kupal, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was Amy Kupal of the Ontario Caregivers Association. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, whose face will grace our new $5 bills? You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. heard of Pitsiolak Ashuna or Robertine Barry? They are two of the eight shortlisted candidates to be the face of our new $5 bill. Public opinion polls show that Terry Fox is the popular favorite, but that may not be the deciding factor in who gets to replace Louis Saint-Laurent, our 12th Prime Minister. Bank of Canada spokesperson Amélie Ferrand-Craig filled me in. How did you decide it was time to retire Sir Wilfrid Laurier, who was our seventh prime minister, who probably uh, is being forgotten perhaps now? Well, actually, uh, Sir Wilfrid Laurier um, is set to be featured on one of the higher denomination banknotes when they are eventually redesigned. So that would be the 50 or the $100 banknote. Oh, so he's um, getting a promotion. <laughs> it depends. Uh, it depends of your perspective, but uh, yeah, you, you could. Uh, he'll definitely be featured on one of uh, those bills uh, when they're redesigned. I would just to get to like to get to know a little bit more about the finalists uh, for the next person to be on the five dollar bill. Pitilak Ashuna. She was an artist from the Eastern Arctic, who was very uh, celebrated and uh, whose uh, works really depict the traditional way of life of the Inuit uh, people in that region. Um, and uh, her works are really exhibited across Canada and even uh, across the world. Robertine Barry was the first francophone female Canadian journalist. Exactly, yes. And uh, 
Uh, so she was a pioneer in that respect, and she was also a, a relentless advocate for different social justice uh, causes, and uh, especially uh, women's equality in society. Okay, moving right along. Now, here I might need help with the pronunciation. Is it Binaswi Francis Pegamagabo? Yes, exactly. So um, Binaswi is a, was a veteran from the First World War and uh, the most highly decorated Indigenous uh, soldier in Canada's history. And after the war, he returned to Canada and was uh, very much involved in, the, in the national and regional movements for uh, Indigenous rights in Canada. Okay. And we also have the person who is presumed to be the first Chinese-Canadian born in Canada, Juan Alexander Kumyao. Yes. So Juan Alexander Kumyao um, worked as a police interpreter, and uh, he really helped bridge the divide between Vancouver's uh, English-speaking and Chinese communities. Um, and he really helped transform uh, racialized attitudes towards uh, Chinese-Canadians. The final person on the list is Terry Fox, I think, certainly the best known of all these people. He was a, a young man who lost part of his right leg to cancer, and uh, uh, he then led a large effort for, to raise uh, funds and raise awareness around uh, cancer research by doing his Marathon of Hope across Canada. Yeah, and it was just his 40th anniversary, so if people weren't aware or if his memory faded, it, it would be renewed now because of that 40th anniversary. That is correct, yep. Angus Reid did a survey and and found that Terry Fox is named more than all the others, at chosen by 57%. How important is that? Well, uh, the, the final decision will be uh, for the Minister of Finance, Christia Freeland. Uh, so I can't really speculate on what will uh, influence her, her choice. It hasn't been that long since we got a new face on the $10 bill as Viola Desmond. She's a black activist, was a black activist. How has the reception to those bills been? We've seen a lot of enthusiasm around uh, the $10 banknote uh, featuring Viola Desmond. Uh, when we issued the note in 2018, uh, we saw reports of people uh, going to the bank and trying to get uh, their hands on freshly printed banknotes. So we were really uh, overwhelmed and delighted by uh, their reaction to that uh, that bill. And are you expecting the same with the change in the $5 banknote? Uh, we definitely hope so. Uh, we've been, once again, very uh, happy and overwhelmed with the response that we've seen on social media when we published the shortlist of candidates. Is it more important to recognize Canadians who are little known but were very important in our history or to celebrate someone who is already celebrated? It's an interesting question, actually, because the Advisory Council, uh, in their, their uh, short list of candidates, did indicate that it represented an opportunity to shine a light on uh, some of the lesser-known candidates as well. Uh, for instance, uh, when you look at the $10 uh, bill with Viola Desmond, um, she was quite well known in, in Atlantic Canada, but not necessarily across uh, the entire country. And uh, when people learned about her story, people really found it quite compelling and quite uh, inspiring. So uh, the Advisory Council uh, indicated that it could be an opportunity to, to do the same this time. But uh, as I mentioned, ultimately, the choice will be for the Minister of Finance. Emily Ferrand-Craig, thank you so much for being with us. It's been my pleasure. That was Bank of Canada spokesperson Amélie Ferrand-Craig. The decision on who will be the new face of the $5 bill will come early in 2021. 
but it'll be several years before the money gets into circulation. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Weekend Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.